Thank you for signing in and and taking the time to listen to this podcast. Uh, My name is Jonathan Bass. I'm a a partner at Menzies. And with me, I have uh, Matthew Watkins and Stephen Hemmings. We've got a couple of topics today, uh, specifically in relation to tax, as regards to the recent announcements made in the spring statement, uh, covering the changes that are on the way uh, in areas such as R&D and tax disputes. Stephen will be covering this topic and we will be running uh, through what it could mean to you and your clients. And then we will move on to a discussion with uh, Matthew as regards to uh, discussing HMRC's increased scrutiny, which means it's important to understand the range of options that are available to deal with uh, when HMRC come knocking um, the best thing generally as an opening point is not to stick your head in the sand um, and therefore we have the A-team here uh, on this podcast so we'll be running through some high level um, discussion points. So first picking up with the recent announcements made in the spring statement. Um, So Steve, uh, if I can hand over to you, what's what's been changed and uh, if you can give us a quick run through. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, Yeah, the first thing that I was going to talk about is the corporation tax rate change. So this is something that's been trailed for a while. Some people were hoping that it wouldn't happen in the end. But as of 1st of April, the CT rates now increased to 25%. um, And that's the highest it's been now for a number of years. Um, And before the government were proud that we had the lowest corporation tax rate in the G7. Um, But obviously, then they needed to balance the books now. Um, think, think about actually um, bringing in taxes and how to revive the economy. So it's gone up to 25%. Um, for companies with taxable profits under 50 grand, it's still 19%. And then there's a blended rate for those in between. And the blended rate actually ends up being at the 26.5% rate. Um, in terms of how it can affect companies and businesses, I think what people need to think about in the current period is um, whether they can actually benefit from shortening their accounting period. So if you had an accounting period that straddles the 1st of April, say from 1st of January to 31st of December, currently you would apportion the profits of the whole year um, between um, 3 twelfths of it and 19% and 9 twelfths at 25%. If you shorten the accounting period to 31st of March, at a time where you've got significant profits, so it could be a particular sale or capital gain that occurs in that period, then you can potentially ensure that you pay um, the lower rate of tax on your higher profits. So that's something to think about. And actually you can change the accounting period date up to the end of, um, up to the date that those accounts are due for filing. So people have got time to think about that and whether it applies to them. What people also need to think about at the same time Uh, which maybe not everyone's aware of, is there's been changes to the associated company rules as well. So these rules have gone back and forth over the last few years, um, but they've been tightened up again now. So they affect not just 51% companies um, within within a group, say, but companies that are under common control. And the effect that that will have is that um, more companies could fall into the higher tax rate and also more companies fall into the QUIPS regime, the regime that means that companies have to pay their taxes at an accelerated rate rather than nine months after the year end. So there's a few things to think about there. Um, Obviously, um, an increase in tax rates isn't necessarily a good thing, 
Um, but there's a few things that I'll talk about later which can be used to help offset that. So the next thing that I thought I would talk about is the R&D tax relief changes, um, particular to the, particularly to the SME regime. And these have been quite significant, actually. So the government has a strategy to encourage innovation, and they've got an idea that they want R&D to be 2.4% of GDP by 2027. And that target has meant that they've had a very beneficial tax relief regime, particularly for SME businesses. However, what they've increasingly looked at in the last few years is the use of that scheme and whether they're getting value for money. So a few times they've talked about in different publications that the SME scheme generates less than £1 for every £1 spent on it, whereas the, the regime for larger businesses actually um, brings £1.20 of value. And they've also looked at it and found that in the SME scheme, they think that 7% of the claims are actually fraudulent or full of errors, which leads to 430 million of wrongful claims each year. So this has actually led them to um, look at a couple of things. Firstly, reducing the benefits of the SME scheme. And secondly, also tightening the way that it's regulated. And the idea with that is to prevent spurious claims. So before the 1st of April, the SME scheme used to provide for 130% accelerated deduction. So if you spent um, £100,000 on R&D activity, on top of that £100,000 tax deduction, you would get another £130,000 in your tax comp. And that saving could be quite significant then. If you're profit making, it would be used to offset the taxes in your business. To make it even more generous, if you were loss making, you could actually take the benefits of that deduction and uh, with a 14.5% credit get cash back from HMRC. What they've actually done to the SME scheme is two things. They've reduced that 130% deduction down to 86% and the actual credit for loss making companies down from 14.5% to 10% and effectively it's nearly half the benefit of the scheme for a lot of businesses, which obviously is quite significant. At the same time, they've looked at the scheme for larger companies, which operates in a slightly different way. The way that works is you get a credit for R&D expenditure. You put that into your accounts and then that's treated as a credit that you receive from the government um, subject to corporation tax. So the net benefit of that used to be 10.5% and now that's increased to 15%. So actually the difference between the two in a lot of cases now is about about 3% difference. So that sort of suggests that they're looking at potentially moving the schemes together and unifying them, which would be easier for them from an admin perspective. And also they're hoping we'll cut out fraud and error as well. Um, and at the end, I'll just talk about um, there's a consultation going on at the moment with R&D and how that might affect things as well. As well as those sort of headline changes, um, there have been a couple of other areas where they've changed things as well. So um, in terms of overseas expenditure, they, they basically clamp down on this and they want, they, they want the R&D scheme to focus on UK resource and UK, um, UK employees basically and the benefits of those. So overseas costs have been drastically reduced. There's a few um, exemptions where you are allowed to have qualifying overseas expenditure, but I think they'll end up being few and far between. Um, they've extended the regime for cloud computing services 
and data costs and also what's described as mathematics as well for example cyber security type claims um, so that will obviously benefit um, a number of technology type businesses um, arguably the people at the real cutting edge of R&D so that's a positive thing um, and then what they've also done is enhance the compliance procedure so um, previously you had up to two years to make a claim for R&D and what we often saw was um, companies who maybe weren't aware of it or had some smaller numbers in one year and there wasn't a great benefit from just making a one-year claim actually did both at the same time um, and really benefited from doing that but what they've said now that is it if it's your first claim you only have six months after the accounting period ends to notify HMRC that you're going to do it so I think as advisors that's something that we really need to think about and make sure that if we've got clients who are new or scale-up type businesses that haven't claimed R&D before we need to be talking to them about what they're actually doing within their business and thinking about whether it might be applicable before it's too late. The other changes that they've brought in around the compliance um, are basically to do with enhancing reports, the detail of reports, setting out what you're actually doing um, as R&D, which I think as Menzies we, we would welcome that um, because obviously there are a lot of advisors out there who are potentially not doing things in the right way, which, is, which has led to some of these changes. And this will help weed that sort of behaviour out, I think. Um, and then finally, in terms of the consultation that's ongoing at the moment. So as I mentioned, there's a number of different th things they're looking at. But I think the main point is, um, is in respect of potentially merging the two schemes. So at the same time, they'll reduce the benefit of the SME scheme, merge them together um, and treat all businesses the same. But... Um, as I said, that's subject to consultation and we think the changes would come in 1st of April 2024 um, and I would imagine there's going to be a lot of feedback from um, small and medium-sized businesses in the UK that actually really benefited from R&D previously and has helped them grow and innovate um, that might have some feedback on that. So we'll watch and see what happens. And in terms of enhanced compliance, do you think the general trend is our HMRC kicking back? Are they looking at previous claims? Yeah, I mean, that's that's what we've found, that they've started to um, open more inquiries than previously. Um, it's obviously, it looks like they're taking quite a broad brush approach in terms of that. Um, but ultimately, if you've got the right, right, the right reports, the right evidence to back up what you've done, then ultimately you're going to be able to defend any inquiry. Mm. Um, but those people that haven't undertaken that work potentially they're going to be exposed to more HMRC attention. I mean, really in the past, um, it used to be a big thing that uh, people in the government would stand up and talk about how much money they'd given away in R&D. Obviously, that environment has changed slightly, so you can see why there's more of a focus on it. And I think we can, we've come on later on to this podcast looking at when there is an inquiry raised, and we'll pick up with, with Matthew on that shortly. So yeah. I think there's some other changes. Some other changes that you'd like to run through, Steve? Yeah, that's right. So um, on the capital allowance side of things, so for the last couple of years, we've had this super deduction um, that's been talked about a lot. And basically that means that qualifying expenditure of capital allowances got a 130% deduction. So you got a deduction worth more than the amount you'd actually spent on the asset. Um, this has been replaced with something called full expensing which I think is broadly welcomed because there was a bit of uncertainty about what could happen. 
full expense isn't as generous, you get 100% deduction for the expenditure, um, but it's still generally a good thing. Uh, and there's no limit on the amount that can be spent in a particular year. Uh, one thing to emphasize is that this only applies to companies. So other types of businesses, partnerships, sole traders, etc., still still need to rely on the rely on the annual investment allowance to get that hundred percent deduction. On top of that, um, there's a few changes that that we think are very positive changes, um, or mildly positive in some cases. Uh, increase in pension allowances for people from forty thousand to sixty thousand, and at the very high end as well for higher earners, an increase from. £4,000 to £10,000 um, so we think that's a good thing and it's a good time to look at pensions and making sure that people are maximising those within our client base. There's also been a relaxation around the administration of EMI share schemes and that's very much welcomed. So um, in, in the sort of SME owner managed business uh, client base these types of options are something that we see all the time. It's a way of incentivizing the employees outside of cash bonuses, helps with the retention and helps everyone benefit at the end on a sale of a business. But the scheme is notoriously complex and we've seen it on due diligences where our clients have been buying businesses or the other way around where the things haven't been followed to a T and they've ended up with quite expensive employee tax consequences in the company that shouldn't have arisen. And so what they've actually said is the requirement to have a working time declaration in the employee agreement has been removed. The requirement to set out share restrictions in the option agreement also. And finally, the notification of the grant deadline. There used to be a 92 day deadline to notify the options. And that's been missed in a number of cases that we've seen over the years. Uh, they've actually aligned that now with the, um, with the employee tax filing of uh, 6th of July. So I think that should help people make sure that they meet the requirements. So that's definitely a good thing. And then on the venture capital schemes, not such a massive change, but it shows that the government um, still value these schemes. Under the seed enterprise investment scheme, which is for investments into real sort of startup companies, um, there's been an increase on some of the limits. So the age of the trade used to be two years, but now you can have companies that are up to three years old qualifying. And for the company itself, it can raise 250,000 under this limit. Individuals, their limit has doubled to 200,000. And because of the way the relief works, you get 50% income tax relief for your investment. So if an individual puts in 200,000 to a company, they can get 100,000 pounds income tax relief back um, straight away. So that's really good. Um, one thing just to mention is that for EIS and SEIS, there is a sun sunset clause for the, these schemes in 2025. So obviously that's coming up quite soon. But the indications from the government are that they would like these schemes to continue. So we'll see what happens over the next year, but we, we would expect further announcements on that. Sounds like there's some enabling factors being brought in that's gonna, that's gonna effectively help and, and it's good news. Um, so I think in terms of um, a segue in picking up on the enhanced um, compliance and scrutiny. If we move over to, to Matthew Watkins now, um, and it's the, the element of what you or your clients should be doing when they're facing um, scrutiny from, from HMRC, and, and, and what are the range of options that are available to, to settle any tax disputes. So 
So Matthew, if you can give us a, a run through, what is ADR and why is it worth considering? Yeah, th thank you, Jonathan. Uh, absolutely. I mean, um, it's actually a question that I get asked quite a lot, which is where you have a long running difficult dispute type situation with um, HMRC and that could be into one of many issues. How do you get past that impasse? How do you unlock what is a, a difficult case? So there is um, something which is probably not used uh, quite as often uh, as it perhaps should be. It, it's certainly growing. and We've seen recently that HMRC has released new guidance in this area and that's um, Alternative Dispute Resolution or ADR. So I'm only talking about this in a tax context uh, because ADR is used outside of tax, but in a tax context, it's a mediation process um, used to resolve disputes between taxpayers and HMRC. And like I say, you tend to find it is actually quite a powerful tool in uh, more long running cases. Um, now, neither party, um, so HMRC or the taxpayer, is obliged to use ADR. Um, and both parties can withdraw from the process once they're in it. In terms of the types of cases that might be suitable for ADR, you, there isn't a definitive list, and I think um, it would be too much of a challenge for HMRC to try and draw up a list of cases that, that would be suitable. But broadly, uh, in, in my opinion, it's, it tends to be cases where, for example, communication between HMRC and either the, the taxpayer or, or sometimes their advisor has broken down. Um, if there's a dispute around facts, ADR can be quite a good um, good, good, good um, tool to try and get through that. Or if there's just a general misunderstanding between the parties, again, ADR is, is quite useful. Now, I, I speak to lots of people who, um, you know, will have um, their own normally quite strong opinions on HMRC or how their taxpayer is being treated, particularly in these long running cases. It's important to make absolutely clear that ADR is not suitable for cases um, where the taxpayer or their agent is just looking to make a complaint. The process itself is um, it's quite straightforward actually. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's all online or at least the early stages are. So there's an online application form which can be completed by, uh, again, the taxpayer, but typically their agent, uh, asks for very basic details and asks to explain why you might think ADR is suitable for that type of case. You'll hear back within 30 days from that application as to whether or not HMRC agree um, that this case is suitable. Now, you can't be restricted by HMRC. You can't be told that this case is not suitable for ADR. Every case needs to be considered. And it's not for a caseworker at HMRC to, to say yes or no, this is a case suitable for ADR. Um, so within 30 days, you'll hear back to, uh, as to whether or not it's, it's been accepted into the process. Once it has, uh, an independent HMRC officer will be allocated to the case as a mediator. Uh, now, they'll have no prior involvement with the case and they should come at this as, as being completely independent. Now, I've taken um, many clients through this process and I have to be quite honest, I have positive experiences from from using ADR I think it is good I think the mediator is gen generally very good at being independent even though obviously they're on the uh, the same payroll as their <laughs> as the opposing side they are very good um, 
ahead of the meeting and the meeting itself should take place within 90 days of being accepted into the process and ahead of that meeting both parties will produce a statement which sets out the matters in dispute and essentially what their their side of, uh, of the argument is uh, and that will be shared with both parties and also the mediator and the idea is it's not you're not going in there for a, you know into battle or anything like that the idea is both parties have to enter into this process positively to try and unlock what is a difficult case. Now, of course, why would you want to use the ADR? Well, what's the alternative? You go to a tax tribunal, both parties spend more money, um, it takes longer, uh, and everything is heard in public, whereas at least with ADR you have that um, that privacy as well. Um, in 2023 now, so um, we're post-pandemic, um, you know, post pandemic, um, post-lockdowns, um, we're used to working virtually. ADR has transitioned into virtual working, so it used to be a case where you'd spend you'd spend the day. You'd need three meeting rooms. Parties would go into different meeting rooms at various stages to talk about their their case or, or whatever. But that can all be done online now. So um, it, it really does lend itself to um, you know the increased use of um, virtual meetings, which we're, we're all becoming more accustomed to. And ending on a positive note from me, assuming ADR has been successful, uh, the mediator will ask the parties to prepare and sign a document at the end just to agree that the outcomes have been reached. And like I say, ADR lends itself to many different um, types of tax disputes, so it really can be quite a powerful tool, actually. I guess, and you mentioned this at the start, there's always the option to pull out at any point in time. So why would you not go in there with an open mind and, and, and give it a go, really? Well, absolutely, and it's that's an important point actually, because if you end up going to a tax tribunal, and and this has happened, sometimes the judge in a tribunal case will actually look quite dimly on both parties actually if they've not explored alternative ways to settle their case. So I think ADR needs to be considered, particularly in long running cases, and in particularly in cases where you think that it's heading towards a tribunal. Yeah, that's, that's consistent in in my line of business in the sense that. Um, if I am as an insolvency practitioner bringing the claim against the party, you're always encouraged because, as Matthew, you say, um, the judge will look at you with a dim view if you at least haven't offered the opportunity to try and keep it away from the tribunal or keep it away from the courts because fundamentally it's just going to tie up money, costs and, and fundamentally the usual best result is some form of negotiation where both parties feel that they've achieved something whether or not that's a cost saving, whether or not that's taking some stress off at an earlier point. No one wants to end up in, in the front of a tribunal, certainly if it's public. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. It was somebody once said to me that if, if both parties come away thinking that it hasn't, uh, have, they haven't got what they wanted, it probably means it's about the right answer. Yeah, yeah. Certainly a good and additional tool to, to, to consider for, for people facing inquiries. So I'd like to thank um, both uh, Stephen and Matthew for, for their time today. So I think just to, to quickly wrap up, we do host and uh, record regular podcasts. And these can be found by visiting um, www.menses.co.uk forward slash podcast. And if you've got any queries or um, points that you would like to discuss with either of our speakers today, their contact details are found on the website. And they'll be more than happy to to, to run any queries um, past you. 
for you or your clients. So thank you for your time.